and Jeremy, we're, we're, it's a two for one today. Can you hear us? Hello, hello boys. Hey, what's hello, up? Hello, hello, hello. How you doing? So, Jeremy Good. is our number one uh, DJ in Montreal. Jeremy, what's up? <laughs> what's up, man? How you do- I hate when you say that because it puts me on the spot. <laughs> Well, you have to be well, good, so too bad. <laughs> but if he says it, it's true. I like the background you got going for this Zoom. I forgot how to do that. Go into uh, uh, preferences. Yeah. <laughs> then go into background and filters, and then just pick whatever. But I'm on my phone, so I'm not sure. I don't, I don't. Oh, because, we'll do it. Because, I'll do. I'll do it. We could do time. this. Cool. Hey, hey, uh, I love that. Hey, and do maybe, you like it? Like, do you want it like this? Yes. Put that way. Yes. Yes. Okay. Do it, do it landscape. Okay. You know what? I think okay. I'm going to leave the flames up today. Yeah, leave the flames are... up, Mitch. Yeah, we're we're double flame. Did did you meet Doug by the way at the uh, de- the Dead Daisies at uh, Fufoon when they came? No, nope, I didn't. Sure. That show, I had to work. Sadly, missed it. Uh, uh, well, it, you, you, you know what? We will be back again. So um, I understand that they're talking about at some point getting <laughs> us back to Canada. 20, 2024 at this point. Anyway, let's... Uh... Yeah, when the border opens. Anyways, let's get right into it. Do you want to do your intro, your legendary classic intro? or Oh, you want, oh, you want the intro. All right. Uh... We need the intro. All right. Well, uh, here yeah, we go. Can, uh... how, how are we going to do this show without the intro? Come on, man. It, it needs an intro role. So uh, here we go. Uh, on three, two, one. That's what you prefer. It's the counting you like. Huh? Yeah, I know. I love counting. that counting. I love counting. Especially three. when you leave it in. I love it. <laughs> well, you know, on the on the uh, on the vid anyway. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Uh, welcome to Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon. Uh, joining me on the phone is uh, the one and only Jeremy White from the Jeremy White Show, and and Doug Aldrich from the Dead Daisies, and of course Dio, White Snake, uh, Burning Rain, all kinds of other great stuff. Uh, bonjour, Doug. Bonjour, Jeremy. Bonjour. How are you? Ça va. As we, oui. say, as we say in Montreal, bonjour, comment allez-vous? Nice stealing my stuff. <laughs> now stealing my lines, but hi. I'm just going to steal all of your shtick, Mitch. It's, it's what needs to happen. Hey, listen, I, I'm the I'm the Harry Carey of uh, rock journalism. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, so Doug, we, we are obviously here to talk about the Dead Daisies and Holy Ground. Now, this is an album that the the, the folks in the Dead Daisies organization sent me, I think, february of 2020 <laughs> and it was oh, going to really? come out yeah they, they sent it to me like a long long time ago and it was going to come out in the summer and you were going to go tour and and you have glenn well, Hughes. that's that's right well, that was when the pandemic started and we thought okay how this is gonna suck it's gonna be like three or four weeks of staying home and then we're gonna you know then we'll be able to get back to shows mm-hmm. right <laughs> if you would if you if you would if you would have told me back at that time how long we were going to be out of work and out of, I would have freaked out. We all would have, you know. Yeah, I guess it, the longest you've we, ever gone with like consistently not playing shows. Absolutely. Um, I mean, especially when we're in the middle of a promote, you know, a prom- we were getting ready to promote the album, so we pushed um, we pushed everything back basically now a year, almost a year. Um, but Mitch got the copy early. Yeah, so like super, super early, and 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 I thought it was great, and I even wrote a, a little review, or or I wrote something that I sent to uh, Dave and and on all the other guys, and and then it just disappeared. Uh, well, didn't you do the world premiere of one of the singles on your podcast at some? Point I did. Like early I did. Last year, I did. 
because I, I remember that was the first time I heard about the record. I was like, oh, this is exciting. Oh, Mitch has got the world. I got to hear this. And it was it, it was awesome. <laughs> and then <laughs> pandemic hit and it was just like, damn, like. So so uh, talk to me about that decision to sort of pull it off the market, because in, in a sense, you have a captive audience, people stuck at home going, what am I going to do? There's no baseball to watch. There's no football. I right, listen to music. No. And then you pulled it off. Good move, bad move. It is what it is. How, how do you sort of. Um, I mean, we wanted to be able to play to promote the record. I think that was um, I think that was the, the reasoning to kind of keep pushing it back and we thought we would be able to go on tour and then um it just it's it was so weird you know it just kept getting pushed moved and finally they just said look we're gonna start fresh next year because we're not gonna be able to travel you know so there was a lot of things now we're we're getting used to doing all this stuff on zoom and and whatnot so you can promote a little bit but um there's nothing like playing a show and there's nothing like seeing a show um, but that, all that being said, it was my um, influence had zero to do with that decision. So it was a, it was a business decision, you know. The people upstairs sort of calling the shots. The yeah the, yeah you know the brains and the brass. I I am the uh, I am the. Yeah, but you're a player. band member. Shouldn't you be a part of that conversation? Um, you know. It, I probably I probably listened to that conversation a little bit, but I mean, you know, these guys are trying to structure out how to promote an album when we're not sure what's happening with this pandemic. And so mm. I was just trying to be supportive. But what we did do, which I think was good, was we kind of um, we, we we put some a couple singles like singles out and Unspoken was the first one that came out that um, it came out. I guess it was like April or May, something like that. Um, and it came out and it, it wasn't meant to be a single at all, but it just felt like a good vibe for that period when everyone was kind of freaking out, stuck at home. It gave, it was a song of hope. Mm. Yeah. So then we, we, yeah, strung it out a little bit longer and then did some other songs through the year and some other, like everybody, we did some lockdown stuff, but. I, in the end, to answer your question, Mitch, I would say that, yeah, it was a good decision because now we're finally, we've the anticipation has been there for a long time. Now, finally, the record's going to come out. Yeah, so that that's going to, it's going to be fun to listen to. Now, a year later, as this thing has sat there, do you listen to it and go, wow, great album? Or do you start having that artistic kind of thing going, hey, maybe we should just go fix the guitars a little. Maybe we could just... <laughs> Yeah, maybe we could remix this a little, or maybe you know, put a little. There's always a little bit more. Of course, there's always something. It's never perfect, but I think um, I usually don't listen to stuff right away, and I let it kind of kind of cool out, and then that way, when I listen to it fresh, I'm not so nitpicky. Because right when you're great coming off of the record, you know, actually tracking and stuff, and you get the mixes, unless there's something that you're really can't live with you gotta you gotta know that these guys like ben gross the producer did a great job he kind of what i like about it is he he made it feel like when you listen with headphones how i a lot of times listen to music it really feels like i'm in the room with the band again you know playing and uh that part is um is a cool thing because i don't think we had that before no really um i'll just before i move on to, to just uh, talking about the daisies 
You were, of course, in Rev Revolution Saints. They put out a third album again, couldn't tour, couldn't do anything with that. Is that a project that still interests you? Because I, I understand that the contract was three records and it's done and now you can move on. Do you still want to work with, with Dean and with uh, Jack Blades or is your focus... I, I I love those guys, and I love. I, I mean, it was a it was a blast to do that stuff. It was really like a throwback to melodic rock from the eighties. Played awesome, you know, by the way. You can't beat melodic rock from the eighties. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, I'm I'm really um, I feel like it, that you know that was a studio project for uh, for the record company that really we didn't really have much to say about it, and it, and it was really. We, you know, we all did a little bit of writing on it, but uh, I think it's, I think three and done is good for that. Um, but that being said, I will always work with Dean or, um, or Jack. Those guys are dear brothers of mine. So uh, I just don't know if it makes sense to, to keep putting out records without promoting it properly, touring. And that's why um, after we worked so hard to put together this Holy Ground album, we felt like let's just push everything aside and let's focus directly on the dead daisies right now. So that's what we're doing. Jeremy, go ahead. I know you. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Cause I'm just, I'm just trying to like process that, you know, where you said it's like, you know, you did a little bit of writing and it was sort of more kind of like a project of the record label. Like, what does that mean though? Like, are you like, does the record label just hire the three of you to go in and say, Hey, we got some money. Can you produce an album for us? we got three great musicians. Like, like, what does that mean? Like, is it like, that's, that's, kind of what it is but i mean the thing is is it started off as dean's solo project because dean's a great singer correct and in yeah. fact um so we did we you know he said he wanted me and jack to be involved and once that happened the record company said and by the way i had just um had just stepped out of white snake so i would never have joined any kind of a band situation or even done anything with a band name if I was in Whitesnake because I was completely 100% for Whitesnake, you know, and it was full time. So I didn't have time to do anything. But then Dean said it's solo record. So I said, yeah, I'll do it. And, um, and then I was out of Whitesnake and they decided let's make this a project, a band project. And we, we uh, got a good response on that first album. And then we, um, I just thought that was it. I thought it was done, you know, and, and then um, we, we went and it was, you know, Dean had gone through some personal stuff. And so I wanted to, to be there with him and, and get back to business with him. So we put together that second one and I thought that's it. Mm. And then record company came and said, you know, we, we really want you guys to do a third one. And I, I said, actually, I would go, I don't really think it's a good idea because you know, you go on shows like this and people are like, One's, you guys aren't touring, so it's not a real band and blah, blah, blah. We had gotten great offers, tour dates and stuff, but we just couldn't do it with our schedules, especially um, at that time. Um, well, in the beginning, there was Night Ranger and Journey, and I was taking care of my, my son. I had basically um, needed to be home. Right. And um, we just couldn't get it together. So I didn't see a point in doing a third one, but the record company uh, and the producer Alessandro Del Vecchio um, got a few songs sent out and we kind of, uh, I, I added to some of those songs a little bit and we knocked it out. And I think it's, you know, I think people have enough music there. I, I, they asked us if we would do another one maybe. And I said, I really don't want to do that. I said, why don't you guys just 
why don't you guys do pick, pick like the best songs off of each one and put out a, a best of or something. You know, right. do something like and that. I mean, you, know, you don't even really need to go out. Like my whole thing is that, okay, you've got amazing musicians just going into the studio, recording some awesome songs, really great parts. And like, as a fan, like I just want to enjoy hearing my favorite musicians laying down yeah. some killer tracks. Like I don't need to go out and see a show. Like, like why can't right. I just enjoy but, but, it? You know, I do. I well, need you, the shows. I love the shows. That's, that's the I, I think it's, I think there's something to be said for both. I mean, you know, people, a lot of people would, would want to have a record, even if they can't see a band, they'd want to have a record because they dig the music and it makes them feel like yeah. either as an escape or they want to work out to it or they want to take a road trip to it. They don't, maybe they don't want to go to the concert, you know, whatever. But uh, with the Dead Daisies, we definitely want to support old school these records that we're doing and especially now with glenn uh in the band leading the band it's like it's it's very important that we get out there and show what this is going to be yeah it'll it'll be great let me ask you just quickly about being you know a journeyman guitarist you've done of course hurricane and burning rain and dio and white snake is that just something that you're very proud of that you're a working musician and you've had a chance to be in all these great bands or is there a frustration that how come my band didn't work? The Doug Aldridge band, you know, <laughs> that was a long time ago, but you know what? Hey man, <laughs> Eric Clapton was a journeyman, you know, yeah. there's a, there's a, there's a lot of people like that. It's not everybody can be the guitar player of deep purple or right. sort of the deep purple. He, he ended up having a couple of bands, but not everyone can be in Pink Floyd or, or, or uh, Andy Summers of the police. You know, it's like, it is what it is. I, I was very loyal and faithful to my first band that we got signed, which was called Lion. And I turned down several offers of bands that were, that were bigger, bands that I could have, I ended up joining Dio later, but Ronnie asked me at that time to join his band. And I said, look, I'm, I want my band to make it. And we had, a, we had a strong record. We just didn't have a good record company. We, we were an LA band that was not like a glam band so much. It was more, we were more influenced by bands like early White Snake and Thin Lizzy and stuff like that. So we, we got like the dregs of the record deals that came out of LA. And what the band was broke the up. record company? Was it was it MCA? Because whenever there's a disaster, it's MCA. Was it MCA? <laughs> Music Cemetery. No, it was um, Scotty Brothers. It was the guys... Okay. It was it was the guys that came, that started um, Paola. You know, they started right, right, the right, whole right. going to the record. You, you you know a little bit of that probably, yeah. right? Here's a bag of Coke. Spin our records. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the good old thing. Uh, so no, I don't feel to, to answer your question. No, I don't feel bad at all. I've been blessed with my. I've been so. I wouldn't change anything really. I mean, I've been. I I wake up and I, I still love to play guitar. I love to make music. I love what we've been able to create for this album and, and i can't album. wait to go out and, i can't wait to get out and play it you know and i mean i've been you know there's a lot there's a lot more talented people than me out there that don't have the breaks that i've had and it ain't right but it is what it is i'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna take anything for granted i feel very lucky you know yeah. think about the singers that from my first singer from this guy cal swan who is amazing who turned me on to early White Snake, and then later working with with um, Kelly Hansen. Kelly Hansen, and, yeah. And um, you know, and Dean and John Karabi, and then of course Ronnie, David, now Glenn. You know, I mean, it's like it's insane. Yeah, yeah that, and 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 you might not know the album "Slave to the Thrill" from Hurricane, uh, Jeremy, because you, I think you were four years. No, you, 
No way. He, he wasn't born yet. He wasn't even born yet. Yeah, no. it came out in. But it's such a great album. And uh, you also might not know that at one point, and, and Doug can correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you tried out for Kiss, right? You were going to be the next uh, Tommy Thay, or the, no, you were going to, you're going to be the next <laughs> Fraley, right? Tell, tell, just, yeah, it was, tell Jeremy that yeah. story and what happened and, and how did that sort of turn out? Well, that, it turned out fine. It was, it worked out for the best because they got Vinnie Vincent. He was great. Right. He wrote some great tunes with them, but, um, and they had Bob Kulik in the background during that time. So basically, Jeremy, I just, it's a, it's a long story. I've told it so many times that, um, I'm going to just try and make it short. I moved to LA. Um, I was, I, of course I, I liked kiss, um, but Zeppelin was my band and I, I didn't think much of it. I got, um, well, I got I, in a band. Ace really just playing Jimmy Page's licks. I mean, that was, that's kind of true. But at the time they wanted more of a fiery kind of guitar style. I think it was kind of coming into that. Was but, that because of Eddie so, Van Halen? Do you think Eddie Van Halen changed that whole scene and made people realize, shit, we need to play faster? I think it was also Randy Rhodes in the <laughs> early 80s. That's it. Randy and Eddie, those guys, they, they lit it up, man. They, they, they were terror, terrorizing other guitar players with their new styles, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I, I, think the, I think a little bit of that was going on, but I moved out. I was 18. I moved to California. I formed a band. We were kind of part cover, part original. We were starting to write. And um, Eric Carr came to a gig and, and asked me to come down and meet the guys. And so I, I did. And I, it was bizarre. You know, at first, I didn't really know if that was really Eric Carr, but it was he had the hair, that big <laughs> hair. And so I, so I was like, it's got to be him. So then he, when he invited me to the record plant to meet Gene and Paul, we, I went down and I felt guilty looking at these guys in their face because you're not supposed to see Kiss without their their makeup masks you know, their makeup or they're, they're always covering with sunglasses and so i felt awkward yeah, you know, they were ahead of the covid that. curve they, they were right ahead they they they, they, they trendsetters they were <laughs> yeah, they were more than i knew they were <laughs> but right. um they they uh they basically were super nice to me i played on i played across a couple of their tracks from there i think they were doing creatures of the night mm-hmm. and um long story short gene wrote down some songs with this number and asked me to learn these songs. And could I have them ready by Monday to come have a jam? And so we did, we played and it was, it was incredible. It was um, first time playing through like multiple Marshall, Marshall stacks. Wow. In, and, it, and I'm just sitting back there feeling the power of, of a wall of Marshall's just tearing my head off. And, um, and Paul's in front of me and jeans over there. And it's just, it was, you know, really wild for a kid i thought that's it it's what you do you move to la and you join a, a big rock band if you're, you know if you're, yeah. you move to lucky. la and you join kiss or queen <laughs> or, the police or whoever's out there that week so right. it went it went pretty good and then um the next time they called me about a week later and said can you come back again and uh i started to get a little nervous at this point i didn't you know did you want to join I, kiss well at that point hell yeah i was like this is this is this is what I'm supposed to do. But yeah, I, I, you know, and I thought I didn't plan on it, but I'm going to roll with it, you know? And, um, but I mean, I was just a baby and these guys were, you know, seasoned, they were world superstars, you know, and and they're, we, we, we did not, 
the one thing we could do, we could play music together, but we couldn't have a normal conversation because I had no experience. You know, I had right. no, no life skills at all. You know, I had, didn't even know about keeping a bank account open. My bank account was done. <laughs> I, I lost my phone after three months of not paying a bill. I never paid a bill before. I didn't know. So when they called me to come down to the record plant, they had to call my, the music store where I was working at. And I didn't have a phone. And then the second audition, my car broke down. I didn't have a car, so my buddy drove me. Oh, and uh, in the end, I, I did, they could, Eric was really nice. He called me and he said, listen, we, you know, we think you're a great, great guy. He didn't say kid, but I, that's probably what he was thinking. Great kid. And, um, and he said, you know, keep, keep doing what you're doing. You're really, you're really good. And, um, and uh, you know, but we need someone with more experience. And now, I, so anybody that wants to know, it doesn't matter how good you are, you really have to be able to hang. If you're going to get a gig, whether it's a, a job in any situation where you're working close with people, you have to be comfortable with each other and you got to be able to be like, be yourself. Personality goes a long way. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like I can tell that me and Jeremy could hang out and in two seconds, we'd get a, yes. get a beer and we're just hanging, talking. It's like, Hey, yes. what about this? Well, yeah, that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The kids can hang out. Grandpa over here will just don't go somewhere. But eighteen year old Doug, you know, fishing <laughs> for kids, kind of fangirling. Not a good hang. Well, hey, it was yeah, it was just it was just you know. It, so it turned out great though because um, they got they got a, a tremendous guitar player songwriter in Vinnie Vincent. Short lived. I wish he would have hung in there a little more yeah. or whatever happened. I don't know, but um, but yeah, they you know. I, then I realized how great Kiss was. I didn't realize. I mean, I listened to their, my sister had a record player and she had the Alive thing and I had some Koss headphones. Mm. And I listened to that and go, wow, that's what a concert sounds like. Holy shit. Yeah. And, um, and it was well, what a good producer sounds like. Let's put it that way. I, I get, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what was live and what was, I still, have, I don't yeah. even want to know, but it, it was, it sounded great, but I didn't re recognize until a lot later how killer their songwriting was, you know, it was mm. like brilliant, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of great songs in that catalog and people do like to talk shit about, you know, some of the mediocrity things that are a part of the kiss music. But like a lot of people say, Oh, kiss made up what they lost, what they lacked in talent and songwriting. They made up for it with their live show. But if you really go and listen to the music, there's some killer songs in there, man. Pretty much everything. I mean, I, there's nothing I, I don't I, I would appreciate anything. You know, I don't I'm not you know, there's guys like Mitch and pro probably yourself and guys, you know, other people that friends of mine that are deep. They know every little thing about every detail about who played on what with Kiss and who did this and who did that. I have no idea. But when I hear one of their old songs, I'm like, wow, that stands up today. It's really it good. It does. Yeah. That 70s stuff stands up now. All right. So since we get into minutia. Uh, Jeremy, you're you're the guitar geek. Hit him with your best shot here with your questions on the on the guitars and the tones and all that stuff that you always go for. It's all <laughs> it's all, it's all oh, Jackson's, yeah. right, Doug? It was for a little for a minute. It well, was, Doug's um, a less all guy now, aren't you? Last couple of years. Well, I mean, it's been a lot longer than that. It's um, I started with a Les Paul. That was my first right. guitar, and um, how'd you afford only... Les Paul as your first guitar? Cause it was $300 and I had a hundred. My mom gave me the, the other two. Nice. You still have it? No, but I have about six that are identical to it. But um, no, I started with a Les Paul. I started with a copy Les Paul. Then I got a real Les Paul. 
And eventually I butchered that thing. It was a, a deluxe with mini humbuckers and I, I drilled it out and put um, humbuckers and then the frets, it wasn't playing great. And I ended up getting a Strat with a tremolo bar. And, um, but I had seen Randy Rhodes play with Jackson and I, I felt a Jackson Strat at the mm. music store. And I thought, this is like, this has got the, it feels like a Les Paul and a Strat together. And so I got, I ordered one of those and got it. And I made friends with Grover Jackson and that's where the Jackson connection came in. Um, he, he was super nice to me and um, took me under his wing, brought me to, into the family. And I, I was there with Jackson until he left. And then I kind of bailed. I always would record with, with I had a, a black custom that was my main guitar go-to for the studio, hmm. but for live, you know, it couldn't, it didn't have the whammy bar or anything. So I would use the Jackson, but eventually when Grover left, I just kind of soured on the Jacksons and I had, I went to Fender for a little while, played with, played some of their stuff. Hmm. Always kind of, you know, I was never exclusive with anybody other than Jackson really at the time. And uh, eventually um, around 2000 or 99, somewhere around there, I started using Les Paul more exclusively. Hmm. And then when I joined Dio, um, the Les Paul was definitely heavier than my Super Strat. I had a, a Super Strat humbucker Strat and the, the, the Black Custom would, I would use it for Sabbath and stuff like that because it was just darker and heavier. Yeah. And it's one of my, it's a 73, that one. And it's one of my, it's probably my best sounding, best recording guitar. But um, so then when I joined Whitesnake, now this is 2002, I, I was touring with Ronnie and I joined Whitesnake on a 2003 tour and then it went on. But David said, I love that you're playing Les Pauls. I want you to, um, to you know, do that. With, with us and I'm like yeah that's my main guitar anyway it just you know mm -hmm. with with Ronnie he was covering Rainbow and some other stuff and the Strat worked out great for that and you know, right the whammy it's not really that. yeah and the, and the front pickup would really get a great it's a faster um, playing guitar as well so it's like you know actually it's weird for me Strats fight back a little bit more Les yeah. Pauls are pretty pretty more shreddable but um but I just, I, I just always have loved Gibson's. I, I've been, you know, a collector of that stuff for a long time. And, and now I, you know, have a little of this and a little of that, but my go-to guitar is a gold top. Let's fall just like I started on. Wow. What about, um, this, you're actually a good person to ask this question to, you know, in the eighties, there was a, so many different types of like guitar tones going on. You know, if you were in Motley Crue, you obviously you sounded like Mick Mars and you had a processed tone. If you're Eddie Van Halen towards the late eighties, you had more of more and more of a process tone. People weren't just plugging direct to the front of the amp, turning it up to 11 and just playing anymore. There was so much going on. Were you pressured into following those trends and playing with all the process tones and everything? Or have you just always been straight into the amp kind of guy? No, I, I've tried everything and it's, I'll tell you one thing, man. I, um, I always had a, a tone that people were complimentary about. And it was something that I just, I took a six band MXR. I took a, a DOD preamp that was just straight gain. And I cranked that thing to 10, I think. And then it went into a MXR six band and I jacked up the mids and into a Marshall so same Marshall. I still have it's 79, um, super lead and jmp and um but it was noisy so then then they came out with the hush and then i put the hush in there and it was like okay it's quiet but now it 
I can't really do clean tones. Yeah. So then I was like, but the tone was massive. It sounded really good. Oh, oh, and by the way, I learned that the MXR stereo chorus, if you stuck that, if you took, took made a Y chord coming out of the uh, hush, and right. one side went directly to the Marshall, the other side goes to the, to the um, MXR stereo chorus, and you put a little modulation on that and send that to another amp, then you've got this big, huge yeah. Randy Rhodes kind of sound. A wide that, sound, yeah. Yeah, and then the other output of that stereo chorus would go into a, a delay unit that would go to a, um, sorry about that, my yeah. ring yeah. camera's going on. Um, so anyway, so it was just, it started like that, but I couldn't get a clean sound because of the hush. So hmm. then I got an AB box and I got a Roland JC120 and that AB box would give me the JC120 and that was clean. Clean tone. The other sound. I did that for a long time and it was, it was really cool. But eventually, um, setup. There's a lot going on there. It was a little even more than that. But but eventually, hey, Doug, I, Doug's no rookie. Well, no, no, no. But I, <laughs> eventually, like he's a good person this, to ask these questions. Right. The thing was is just trying to experiment to get the sound that you yeah. hear in your head, you know. And that's what I was trying to do, and have coverage of different sounds that I wanted to get in my head that I were in my yeah. head. But then what I found sound, out about Bob, about Bob Bradshaw. Oh, about yeah. Let, say. I just want to tell you about the process tone thing really quick. Yeah. So, we'll go. And then we'll, so I meet Bob Bradshaw. I, I'm in Hurricane. I got this sound that I've started with, but now I want to take it further. And he had these things called um, uh, Rocktron made these things called juice extractors. And you plug your amp output into the juice extractor. And then you could EQ the, the sound before it went to the speaker. And then there was a thing called a BBE sonic maximizer that added more bottom end. So I had this, I, long story short, I did have a rack of a Bradshaw rack. I had a Bradshaw rig that it was pretty expensive. Um, I just put all my money that I had into it, but mm. man, my guitar sound was massive. It was, <laughs> it was, it was just giant. It was like, you know, at this time, Guys like um, John Sykes had come out. He had a he had a giant sound. There was a lot yeah. of you know Tony Iommi had a giant sound. Eddie did. Everybody was going for this big stereo sound, especially in L.A. It was like an L.A. thing too. I mean, Lukather had it. Yeah. But um, eventually, when when grunge came out, it was like, okay, we don't need all that stuff anymore. Yeah, they, Those they guys dialed it just, back. Grunge killed it. They, dialed, they ruined it. They, ruined they dialed it. it back. But but it's all it's all a, it's all. It's a natural pro process. So you, so eventually we, we find a, a, a balance that works. So when I, by the time I got in Whitesnake, I had a, a rig that was pretty raw, but I also had some patches with some schmooze on it for like, is this love or whatever. Right. And um, with, the, with the Dead Daisies, this is a more straight ahead, rock straight up gr gritty rock and roll band. We've taken a little bit of a turn now because of, with Glenn, we, we've got a, the possibility of, of creating more landscape for him. And uh, so, you know, maybe there's going to be some different tones going on, but I basically have gotten lazy and it's kind of like, I tried the, like the Kemper and everything and it's killer. Oh. It's just un unbelievable. Yeah. But they sound good, it's, but it's just too deep for me. Right. I just can't, I'm used to, yeah. I, I know this amp sounds good. I plug it in and it sounds yep. good. 
Dude, same thing with me. It's like I post like, you know, a, a guitar video or two online. You know, I got a stomp box. I'm like, I'll check this. People are like, wow. why don't you just get a Kemper? Why don't you just get a fractal? You got all that built in. I'm like, no, I'm a guitar player. I want to turn the knob. I want to step on the thing. I want to, you know, be able to sit there and dial it in. I don't want to be clicking on a mouse. It's, it's you know, mixing now in Pro Tools and everything. It's all in the mouse, all on the screen. One day is going to come. The guitar is going to actually be on the screen. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like oh, enjoy turning the knob. You're playing on on the screen. Yeah. yeah, the fingers the fingers are on the screen. It's like whose hand do you want to have? Do you want? <laughs> let's get let's get Jeremy's hand on on this song. So that's what it sounds yeah. like. That's it. You know, but, all of a sudden you'd be like, oh man, it'd be great if we get like a Dan Huff jangle part on this. Dan, or, you know, okay, it's love funny Dan. you brought up. You, it's funny you bring up Dan Huff because I thought about him yesterday. I want to I want to listen to some giant some old because that was a big Ooh. badass process sound. But let me say this about the, about what's going on with the daisies is that Ben Gross, the producer, did not mix in Pro Tools. He did it old school. He's very interesting. He, he, I never heard what the mix was going to sound like. Every time he put the song, even though it was recorded in Pro Tools, hmm. every time he put a song up, he just it would be coming through the mixer. He'd, he'd get his mix and it would be a little different every day. And um, wow, I never knew what it was going to sound like until the end. And he mixed it and it's it's like so you know in the the way most people mix and I, you we've all done this you mix it in the box and then every time you open it up it comes back exactly how you had it right and it's it saves everything but he didn't he doesn't do that and i really respected that and i think it it helped the sound you know by him doing yeah. it old school because it's a fresh mix every time we put the faders up wow. yeah he never got he never got stuck into anything it's really it's something to think about you know if you when you make a demo in Pro Tools, a lot of times it sounds like a finished album. And right. then where do you go from there? You know, it's like it yeah. gets a lot of a lot start... of bands get the a lot of bands get demoitis because of that, you know? Yeah. First, first oh, yeah. Game, sounds great. And then you go and there's okay, yeah. well, how do we make this better? Okay, well, we're already using the drum samples that we would have used on the mastered product. Well, you what happens is a lot of times too is you do that demo and then you'll go in and recut the drums and replace the drum machine, you recut the drums and then then you'll go, okay, recut the drums now, but now the guitars don't sound as good as they did before. So we got to recut the guitars. Uh, it, it ends up like being really backwards. Yeah, it's like it, it ends up being a really it's, tedious. It's not the, well, it's not the it's not the organic way to do it. The way to do it is to get in a room and play together and and figure out the parts that you think you mm -hmm. sound good, and do your tracking, and then go back and listen after you track. Go back in the control room and listen and go. Well, that was kind of cool. I like that. I'm going to just keep doing that. That other part needs work. Um, I'm going to either I got an idea or I'm going to ask somebody, what do you guys think? You know? Yeah. And it's just like a regular old, old school band. You know, it's kind of come full circle now. You know, uh, Jeremy's working on his first album record deal on the table, the whole thing. And he's doing it all by himself. And he's doing that whole Mutt Lang approach of everything has to be perfect. Yeah. Right. Gene Simmons told you not to do this. Yeah, I know. But there's, <laughs> There's a certain hey, sound, man. right? There's no rules. You can do what you want. Exactly. Yeah. You know, right. I was saying to Mitch, I was like, you know, a lot of these songs that I'm working on, it's like there's guitar parts and stuff. It's like, unless I'm playing the tracks, there's no way I'm going to be able to have, you know, like a seven piece band playing all this stuff. <laughs> and then I, I, I was talking to Phil Collins from Def Leppard on Monday, uh, interviewed him. And he was saying that, you know, when we were recording Hysteria, we just didn't, we didn't even have the intention of like, you know, how are we going to play these live? Like, we didn't even think about that. We were just trying to create the best sounding, you know, mm -hmm. album and record and then worry about playing it live after the fact. <laughs> and 
like hysteria. They had to rent an arena for two days and just go over and over and figure out uh, an, an arrangement for like love bites. Like, how are you going to play this live and sing at the same time? You know, so it's, it's just so interesting to hear different people's perspectives and approaches when it comes to recording, you know. They do. They, they pull it off good, though. They sound great. And you know who else sounded great is that, that there were some really over, like, I don't want to say overproduced, but it was seriously produced was Boston. Yeah. The old, if you look on YouTube, the Boston stuff is, um, you know, Tom Schultz Tom, just, and Barry, Barry Goudreau on guitar was just on fire. And the bass player. Yeah. Bass, Dude, the friend went. And the sound of the record, like it still sounds so good. You listen to it on the radio and then they go into like a modern sounding album. It kills it. It kills the but modern live, sounding stuff. But and live, they pulled it off. They did like just like Def Leppard. And I think they do it. They, you know, there was no tapes or anything. or I wouldn't think there was anyways. Yeah. Well, Let's yeah. just say I hope there wasn't. No, no well, but, um, I, I asked Phil Collin that. I asked him, I was like, you know, uh, do you play the tracks and stuff? And he's like, well, in the interview, he said to me, he's like, honestly, he's like, when we were recording the stuff, we recorded stuff that we'd be able to pull off live if we had to. He's like, if you couldn't sing it, it didn't make the album because we knew we wouldn't be able to do it live, you know? And he, could, those guys all sing their ass off. I mean, Viv's, Viv's a great singer. Joe yeah. obviously is the yeah. tone of the band. Yeah. Sav and, and, and Phil might be, I mean, he's, he's a brilliant singer and he sounds just <laughs> like, he can sound exactly like Joe. It's weird. It's like he, yeah. they double the parts and it's like, that's how they get that fat sound is because yeah. he's got that even sound Mutt, too. you know, Mutt sang a lot of those backing vocals on the records too. You know, like the love bites, like a love bites, like all those high parts, like that was all Mutt. Yeah. Well, so, I didn't know that. Yeah. Let me, um, just since we're talking about singers, uh, talk to me just real quick about working with Glenn, working with David and working with Ronnie because they are a cut above, you know, the, the regular singer do they have a method to their madness? Is it just a natural talent? They walk up to the mic and off it goes. Do, do you get any sense from them that there's something different going? Do, do they just yeah, approach there's the mic differently? Something. There's some, there's a lot different. I mean, they're all individually different too. I mean, I I often say Ronnie was is for me the greatest heavy metal singer. David's the greatest heavy blues rock singer, and and Glenn is the voice of rock. And there and Glenn is. I mean, all those guys are amazing and they've got their tone. I mean, David Coverdale's tone is just still, it's, it's still fat and giant. it's just giant. Yeah. Same with Ronnie. Ronnie was, you know, so powerful. And Glenn has got this acrobatic thing that he can do. He doesn't, he, he, on this album, it's, it's a little bit of a, of a departure. It's a new Glenn, you know, on this, on this Dead Daisies album. But they're all different. They all like, they all, Ronnie would never warm up. David would warm up. Glenn says that he breathes to get his, his breathing right. But it's Glenn's like a freak, man. He gets better and better all the time. And, and with age, this instrument, it, it, it's hard to maintain stuff. And guys would sing something when they were 21 years old. And then when they're 41 or 61, they, there's no way you can do that. That's yeah. why you hire a keyboard player with a voice very similar <laughs> to yours, and then he can couple your stuff when you're off mic. That's right. You put you put Gary Corbett or Derek Sherinian off the side, and off you go. Yeah. <laughs> hey Doug, yeah. let's let's get a little goss going. Out of all those three major singers, who was the most difficult to work with? 
Oh, that's not nice. They're I would all say great. it's they're all great. And there's it was like, did you ever were you ever put into like the awkward predicament of like you're in the dressing room and like you know David Covered is like, oh, not now, little Doug. I'm drinking my wine. Like you know, um, he I would, he would, those guys, you know, being rock stars. David, David was like my big bro. He he really looked out for me. Ronnie was, Ronnie. Is, I'll tell you the difference is, Ronnie wore his heart on his sleeve, and and if he was upset about something with anybody in the band, he would let them know right away, hmm. and he would just tell them right away. Um, and then you know you would get through it. By the time you're back on the bus right. after the you fixed gig, it right away, basically. It was it was it was done. David is a, a very he's he's a super strong super he's a very um deep guy you know and and it means a lot to him and so if he might he might want to process things a little bit before he talks about you know what's what's bothering me but you could tell there maybe you know that maybe he was something was did i lose you guys no there you go oh, we're good. you could tell there was something that, that he was not happy about and i'd have to ask him hey you know what's going on and so i'm getting the feeling that you know that we need to work on this or that hmm. and uh so it, but, but it was like, it was totally natural, you know, and, it was and more constructive David's, than it was like drama. Exactly. And with Glenn, um, he's, he's a, he's a totally different personality. Glenn's a really spiritual guy. Oh, David is too. Um, but Glenn is, um, he'll, he kind of goes, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know what we're doing. I'm just, it's just coming into me and I'm going to pass it off to you guys. And, um, Glenn's, um, a really he's a super sweet guy man i i gotta say he's very um he's a very tender heart you know mm-hmm. um he's very deep i love what he did on the album he, he he basically lyrically did a killer album that leaves a lot of um interpretation for the listener you know leaves gray area like he's not telling you just he's not telling you stand up and shout he's telling you Maybe if you once you walk down this path and you and you take the, the boat out to sea, by the time you come back, you're going to be a changed man. You know, he leaves this stuff open mm-hmm. for you to think about. So anyway, they're all they're all three different. They're all three brilliant. They're all three under the umbrella of Richie Blackmore, which is interesting that I've ended up with these guys. You know, yeah, it's true, actually. Yeah. And and they're dear. They're all three, you know, obviously, rest in peace, Ronnie. But they're all still they're dear friends of mine ronnie was till the very end you know we mm-hmm. ronnie and i got into it a few times you know where he he would he was pissed at me and i would there was two times in particular one was when you know i i had gone to white snakes to start a, it was basically a two-month tour we were going to do and mm-hmm. two months went on and on and it kept going and ronnie got really upset with me because he wanted to do some dates with um i think it was maiden and I said, I got dates with David and he was, he was really upset with me. And it, made, it took me, it took about, it was maybe a, a year or so before we got back to be friends again. Oh, wow. And then, uh, that, it was that bad. Yeah. He was, he was pissed. He was like, you know, Ronnie was like, it, it was, it was he, cause he put me out there, you know, I mean, I, I got, I understand he wanted me to come back and fulfill, but I mean, things, you know, I was meant, to, I felt like I was meant to be in Whitesnake. You know, even Red Beach would say that too. He, yeah. he was meant to be in Whitesnake. And Red's now the longest. You were great in Whitesnake. You were absolutely, that, that was the, the band for you. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. Well, I'll tell you what, well, you know, Doug is my Whitesnake guitar player. Like when I was in high school, you know, in like 2009 and like, you know, Forevermore and all that stuff was coming out. Like that was, that was my Whitesnake. 
Yeah. That's cool. I mean, that, that's yeah. that's interesting because for some people now, um, Joel Hoekstra is their way. Joel is you know? fantastic. Let's not. Joel's he's a monster, and yes. and Rev is too. Rev Rev's the longest lasting member of all time with Wayside. So God bless that kid. Wow, I never thought more of it. Than, but yeah, even more than Tommy. Summer. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, Tommy, because Tommy left a couple times. He, he, um, yeah. There was a time. Well, first of all, good to be bad had um, Tishy. No, Tishy was on Forevermore. It was um, Chris Frazier. Oh yeah, Chris yeah. Frazier was on Good to Be Bad. Chris Frazier from Corner, and then um, Brian Tishy came in uh, for a few years, and so Tommy had been in and out, but Reb has been there the entire time. And you remember the the '87 White Snake was. Ainsley Dunbar. Like, well, no, but I mean the touring band that was everybody knew mm-hmm. was was only around for a couple of years, right? Right. It was like eighty-seven till ninety, three three years or something. Wow. And then Tommy was gone. Adrian stayed, and they did some other stuff. But then, well, you know, for the most part, um, Reb's the Reb is the White Snake guitar player. Yeah. Oh, he he's the Iron Man. Anyway, who's had, yeah. who had more band member changes through the years? White Snake or L.A. Guns? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. Has, has LA Guns had a lot? Yeah, about 87 or 88. Yeah, they changed it. Uh, For real? Yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, I, w- I was interviewing uh, Chris Holmes of Wasp earlier, uh, and he was telling me about the three days that he spent with LA Guns as their guitarist. Oh, uh, oh, really? He was he was in LA Guns? Yeah, he was three in days? LA Guns for... They they were supposed to go tour with Alice Cooper in Europe, and uh, Chris came in because Tracy quit, and then the Alice Cooper camp found out that it wasn't the you know original L.A. Guns, and they threw him off the tour. So so Chris was basically there for like three days, and they played like got the it. Whiskey a Go Go. <laughs> got it, got it. Yeah, I, there you Chris go. is a great guy, man. I, I've known Chris for years, and he's always been super cool. He, I, I was at the very first Wasp gig in L.A. When um, I was a kid, it was. Um, I don't know, 80, 82 or three, something like that. I don't know what it was, but um, it was at the Troubadour. And wow. they and they came out and they were they had the fire on the drum. They had fire coming out of the drum riser, which was a kind of, a, I had never seen that. How did you um, do I know that Kiss, back in the early 80s? Like it was- <laughs> I have no idea. They, they just, they, they had a, they had this big pipe, you know, and it like it had <laughs> holes in it and gas came out and, and Listen, natural gas back but then the nobody part, thought about burning stuff they just did oh yeah <laughs> but the, be- but the best part was the best part which was would was controversial and it probably would be now if somebody did it, it was like blackie came out with a, um, a plastic what do they call it tupperware mm-hmm. he came out with a tupperware box a little kind of plastic tupperware box that had red meat in it and he would chuck the meat at the audience <laughs> and, and now and it was like whoa you know getting hit, hit by a t-bone steak you know um and I, that's where i was like okay that's a that's a really great show it's not necessarily you know what, what i'm into but i think right. i gotta hand it to them they're they're trying to you know they're original yeah blackie was um <laughs> blackie has his yeah. pogo stick mic that he gets up on and he moves around with his pogo stick uh, it, listen i i, I wonder how he I wonder yeah. how he did that. I, I actually played on a, on one of their records. I played he at a point. I think when Chris left, he got me and Bob Kulik. We both did a couple solos on Headless Cross or something like that. I think it was called. Oh. Yeah, I see. Cool. Yeah, but 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 listen, Blackie, Blackie knows how to put on a show. Yeah, man. 
he still does. I saw him when I was in Whitesnake. We played a festival with them, and it was pretty cool. I I can't. I didn't. I was in, on the side of the stage, so I didn't get to enjoy it the proper way. But but he was still doing it, Blackie. You know. Yeah, good man. And uh, anyway, there we go. Well, so when so, so when's this record come out? At the end of the month, February. It comes right? out. It, no, it comes out yeah. this month in about a week. Oh, January twenty second. Yes, and we we will. Um, we're going to start, we're going to get together in late February, early March for rehearsals. Uh, to, we've already, we, we got together in October and played through all the new stuff. And it, it's, it's really fun to play. I can't wait for people to hear it live whenever that is, but we're going to get together um, and rehearse for upcoming dates if they happen. And, mm-hmm. and also Glenn and I had gotten together and done some work on some new songs as well. So we might, sit down with david and, and and have a bit of a writing session see how um, it goes yeah yeah so we, now of course you we, know australia and new zealand don't have covid right now they they've they've managed to beat it down so you could probably just tour around that area with with david for a while before you come back they won't here. let us they won't let us, us fly in no they won't australia is very you got a quarantine for two weeks and blah 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 it's, but they mm-hmm. did have they've had a couple of um flare-ups they've they've shut down just like everybody they shut down certain not so much new zealand but um um they shut down certain territories they call it territories down yeah yeah yeah. and and uh so that like somebody from melbourne couldn't go to somewhere else or something like that yeah like over here we have our red zones and we have our orange zone so if you live in a red zone you can't leave and go to another zone it's like the whole thing are you guys are you guys down for the for the um the jab Oh yeah, I'll get it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I mean, uh, us guys who want to travel, I think we're going to have to get it. Well, they're talking about having possibly to carry your papers with you saying like, show me your COVID papers. And if you don't have it, you're not getting on the plane. And so, and that's, that's fine. I mean, you know, that's how it is in South America. When you go to, um, you go to central South America near the the Amazon, you got to have yellow fever card. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. You, a yellow fever is, um, through like an area called Manaus, it's right on the on the Amazon, and it's huh. prevalent. And you can, you know, it was, it was a little freaky about, you know, where was go- I was going down there at one point, and it was like you got to get this yellow fever shot, and it's t- it's two injections, very similar to COVID, and then they gave you this ye- this yellow card that goes in your passport. So, wow. um, I think I'm up. still, <laughs> I think I'm still okay for yellow fever. I think, yeah. What but, about uh, COVID. what about shingles? You got your shingles shot? <laughs> no, I haven't. I, I I don't. At some point, I probably will have to. I mean, I don't know what age you're supposed to do it, but I'm in mid fifties, so you know. Oh, dude, probably get your, get your shingles shot. Get it. Yeah, I'm right now too, but I haven't had a. But yeah. <laughs> dude, yeah. actually, talking about shingles, my grandfather. Well, he's like eighty. He just had shingles in the summer. And oh no, last summer and holy fuck, it was bad. Like he still has pain, like on his chest and everything. Oh, that shit yeah. is scarring. I had. But I mean, does it? And it's does it's it rough? Isn't it, it? You've had it. I've had shingles. I had oh, shingles. Yeah. I had shingles in the nineties, and it made like a red band across the chest, and and there's still a little bit of pock marks, and and because it follows like a, it follows a vein, or I don't know what, it, but it it, oh. it wrapped, and man, that was. Oh, your mic just dropped. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, I was like, yeah, yeah sorry. You're good. It, it was like getting punched, um, in, being punched oh, in the sorry, every want, day. Yeah. I I will. 
I will at some point next time I go to the doctor, I'll ask him about it. But um, yeah. yeah, right now I'm not worried about that. I want to get, I want to get COVIDized. I want to yeah. get, you want to get the COVID shot. That. You want to get back on stage and performing, you know, I want to get back to Montreal. You want to get back and yeah. And the dead daisies, you know, when they tour, they, they have their plane. They, they go all over the place. So it's, it's a fun yeah, time. And angle our way onto the dead daisies plane. We'll do a couple of shows. <laughs> yeah. There's only, you guys make it sound like we're always on the plane. We only take that plane for short hops. We take, we fly commercial all the time. That's the, that's, you know, you got to understand it's, it's actually more work to go on that plane because you got to pack your bag from your room, carry it, get it down to the lobby. When, get into, it's hard into to get on my private jet. When, check it out. Check it out. Listen to this. Bag. Come on, check let's... this out. Check it out. So you, you got to, then you got to get to the airport, unload it out of the van. Then you got to load it into another van and then you got to unload it out of that van carry it to the plane then they load it in the plane and do the whole thing on the way out and it's listen that plane is is a beautiful machine it's not my place you know it's like i don't feel it's somebody's that's like somebody's home you know so you're basically sitting there like you know just being cool you know one day on an accident there was some turbulence and i had orange juice and it went all over the wall and i felt like <laughs> oh, you know, we lost I video. Just, yeah, that's when he's yeah, going. Was, uh, that was Dean's juice. That was Dean's. <laughs> no, not that no but um, but it's not. You know, it's 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 only for out of convenience of of for David who needs to be able to be mobile in certain situations. Like after when we were touring with Kiss, right. David would. He's a very hardworking person, and he and he had to get back to New York for he, there were some family meetings that he had to do. And um, so he would go after the KISS show, he'd get on the plane and fly, and then we'd take the bus. Um, and then there's other guys that have been in the band, like Brian Tishy, would only really want to be on the bus. You know, he didn't want to go on the plane. So mm. it's to each his own. I personally, I like commercial because and I know that I've paid my money. I want to just relax. I want to watch my movies. I don't necessarily want to. I, maybe I want to talk to somebody, but maybe not. I want to just. Well, on the private thing. plane, you don't have like the the movie service, and uh, it's just kind of like it's, short it's hops. Keep... It's basically it's basically up and down. You know, the best thing about that is being able to sit up there and watch the takeoff and the landing and stuff. That's the fun part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of work for you know for those people who have those planes. Yeah. Well, they get I'll, used to it. I think. I'll, they, I'll just they, they, I'll, they I'll get used to hearing about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know it, it it's one of those things it's like when you it's like being in a limousine you know once you do it a few times it's like okay it's cool but it kind of makes you feel uncomfortable too because you don't want people to think you're like some you think that you're some uh you know royalty. star super superstar royalty or something yeah oh no i would totally embrace it i walk up and like here minion take my guitar case <laughs> where's my wine like, you know, yeah, would, that's, that's the other thing is that I always carry a guitar with me always. And, and I would be a little bit nervous sometimes like, is this, is my case going to scratch the leather? Cause the leather on that, on that jet is worth more than my life. Right. You know, I was asking the pilot one time, I go that, like this plane, like, you know, what, like that, that um bolt right there that holds the wheel on the front. Like how much is that? You know? And he's, he was, it was like, you know, $75,000 or something for this, for a bolt, <laughs> you know, that's how these, these, these planes are just heel on the landing gear. Like. <laughs> but I, we're very thankful for David to help, you know, do that. It's basically a situation like how if Metallica, um, when they were starting oh, off, yeah. they needed money, oh, they needed God. money. For, my Metallica. 
I, maybe that's why I got it. From. But, I, but maybe in the beginning when Metallica needed money so that they could go do a tour, the record company would advance them whatever, $500,000 or a million dollars. And back in the 80s, that was a lot of money. Yes. And um, so we have a record company and a production company within the Dead Daisies. So we have, you know, we have funds when we need it for promotion. But it's, yeah. it's not like a, it's not like, you know, an open uh, bank or anything like that. It's like it's we're not on a budget. check where you just have a private plan this weekend. All right. You know. No, it's like, you know, and a lot of times like, like my, my, my wife has never been on that jet um, because we, you know, it's, it's not really, well, first of all, it's not, it's not big enough for everybody to bring everybody. But um, if my wife came, then my kids would have to come and that only my son has been on the, on the jet and he loved it. Mm. At first he, he wanted to go on the bus and be on the, in the bunk and roll around and get crazy, you know, but then once he got on the jet, it was like, yeah, I like this. It's cool. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's we'll, all we'll, we'll have to get on that jet at some point but yeah uh, Mitch, we you gotta go. do it We're... you know you know what mitch it's not out of the question you have probably you would probably have just as much right as me to get on that jet because you actually have a whole network of fans that that you could talk and, and go i've been on the jet i've been around yeah. and we were going to do a around the world thing video a couple of years ago yeah uh yeah so maybe you could maybe you know there's probably a seat for you Jeremy, I'm not sure about. Maybe maybe Jeremy could. could That's all right. I'll rent, I'll rent my own plane. I'll meet you on the tarmac. You, <laughs> hey, you know what? If your songs turn out as good as they sound like they might, maybe you'd be able to do that. That'd be cool. And you know who won't have a seat on that plane? Mitch Lafon. No. <laughs> now you're taking me, but uh, Mitch, no. will be, Mitch will be loading my bags. Yeah, no. Jer- Jeremy is uh, too too busy trying to get the Eddie Van Halen uh, 1990s tone on his guitars. That that that's his. Uh... The Eddie Van Halen tone that I heard when I was a kid, Jeremy. Listen to this. Yep. I was 15 or 14. I didn't have a license. We took the train down to Philadelphia, downtown. At the it's called the Spectrum, the the arena at the time. Hmm. And um, yeah, Mitch, you know it. And um. And I was standing in line. It was it was raining, and I'm standing in line with my buddy. And it was it was an eight dollar ticket. You know, he goes, "There's a concert. Let's go." And I'm like, "Okay, how much? Eight bucks? Okay, cool. Or six, six bucks." Jesus. General general admission seating. So you'd go running down to the floor. So we're waiting in line, and I'm like, "Wait, who are we seeing again tonight?" And he goes, "Van Halen." I go, "Van who?" So I didn't know anything. I had never heard him. I didn't. Have, it, it was 1979, and so. Um, we run down to the front of the stage and it's packed like this. And it, it's, it's like, you know, you could lift up your feet and not move because you're it's so yep. packed up there. And all of a sudden, Rudy Lair and Eddie Kutartek is the guy that would go, oh, are you ready for the mighty van? That was Rudy, his guitar tech that did like, hello, yep. Philadelphia. Yeah, that was that was Rudy all the way back. He, he um, yeah, so. And then, I, and then a curtain goes up and I see Eddie's amps with the speakers exposed. Uh, 18 four by 12 stacked. Yeah. Three high, six across and all these speakers. And all of a sudden he, he makes the sound on his guitar. I was just like, holy shit. I was, it was like the most giant sound I'd ever heard in my whole life. And then he came out and just smoked. He smoked so much. And I thought, okay, I loved... I saw, you know, around that time I'd see Black Sabbath or Ted Nugent or whoever. And it was like, man, but Eddie, Eddie just, he just smoked everybody. And, but then a few years later, like one year later, 
Ozzy Osbourne came to town and we went and bought tickets. We heard one song on the radio. And we went and got tickets the day of the show. Fourth row, right in front of Randy Rhodes. And I was just like, again, just fucking melted my face. Mm. And, and it's just insane. You know, this brought guitar to a whole new level. And I was like, I couldn't speak for two days after seeing those guys. Probably because you were deaf as well. So, yeah, but the- you know why I was deaf? It wasn't because of Ozzy. It was because a motorhead was supporting him and it was so freaking loud. And I, th- I said to my buddy, the same, it's the same buddy that, that took me to, that came out to California later. And he's the guy that drove me when my car broke down. He mm-hmm. drove me, his name was Tom Best and his brother, Jerry is a bass player, a great bass player. And so Tom, I, I go, if motorhead sounds like these guys, man, let's get us, let's go get some beer. You know, we would, there was a place that we could go score beer. It was like a little saloon and they would sell it to us kids nice um we'd get a court you know and so, we, so but ozzy came out and there was randy and there was tommy aldridge just like wait a minute is, he's supposed to be in pat travers and then rudy sarzo this like exotic looking you know manly man <laughs> and uh and randy just this little guy just with the freaking tone just it was like it was like it was like a fist just grabbing your face and holding on it was that's as sticky his tone was so that's that's what it was for me when I was a kid, just getting blown away. And it never occurred to me that these guys might be, you know, like Van Halen. Maybe they had a day off in Philadelphia. Where, wonder what hotel they're at. It never occurred to me that I would ever go actually meet these guys or something like that. I never I was just like, you know, yeah, like that. So you never did you ever get to meet Eddie Van Halen? I guess. Yeah, I did a couple of times. He was really nice. He uh, I was working with Andy Johns on a solo thing and he he um andy had just got done their four unlawful cardinal knowledge right. album and, the best van halen album by the way for the really right mitch lafon love that oh, he, he loves that album i think it's a great album uh i'm not sure if i'm gonna say best but yeah it's a record i mean see that's the thing i gotta go with my favorite one of all is for is a uh, fair warning that with I'm, I, I dude, love Sammy. I got in so much, dude, I got in so much shit because I posted on Twitter. I'm like, Foreign Lawful Cardinal Knowledge is a better Van Halen album than Fair Warning. And <laughs> I just got slammed. <laughs> I mean, it's, hey, it's a great album. I mean, Pound Cake, mm-hmm. all that stuff was yeah. great. And also, fifth, um, right now, right here, right now is on that yeah. album. Right, right now. The world, Dream is Over, all that stuff. It's Dream just, is yeah. Over is a fantastic song. It's the tone of the record, you know? And Andy, the best, yeah. And well, and the funny thing is, Andy, some something happened where Alex wasn't happy with his snare sound. He's like, he's got a certain snare sound that is very yeah. unique, and drummers very love it. Very iconic. And apparently, he yelled at Andy and said, "You, you did this on purpose. I can't." Like Andy said, "What? I, I, you know, he was upset about it. Something. There's some story. You'd have to ask Alex when you talk to him, but um." But I did get to meet Eddie. He was super nice. And um, I was up at, you know, we, we borrowed some gear from his studio so that Andy could be happy with the sound at my house. And, um, and then he came and then um, I was in a band with my singer from Lion called Bad Moon Rising. We kind of reformed a band and we toured. Um, we were doing a tour in France and actually supported Van Halen at a, at a show in, in Paris. Wow. And it was, it was really cool. Like, I got on stage to do soundcheck and there was a really bad buzz going on. I was just like, this sucks, man. It was like my guitar's going, eh. mm-hmm. and Eddie, Eddie said, Hey, 
let him use my power. You know, this like clean conditioned power that wow. I put my guitar sounded great, you know, thanks to Eddie. That's awesome. But, uh, yeah, man. I mean, I, I can't believe he's gone. I, I, I'm, I feel so bad for his son, you know, that, I mean, I know they, they knew about it, I guess, but man, dude, yeah. he's just gone way too soon. I mean, Eddie should have been, he should have been one of those guys that was 90 and like, still he playing he should have been bo diddley and chuck berry he should have been one of those guys 89 90 just yeah yeah well, yeah same with ronnie really... by the way uh, all these guys you know same with lemmy yeah He's all gone kept going but... yeah yeah i will the thing is is uh i don't know i don't know exactly what what was the Eddie got what was it? It was throat cancer or stomach cancer? It throat cancer, and then it like when it it was pretty much like terminal, like towards the end. It was just like everywhere. It got to his brain and just, yeah. But from the reports, I guess you know, unless until Wolf actually comes out and you know writes a book or like you know if he wants to put it out there, like, I guess we won't actually know what it was. But it was for sure cancer. So either way, fuck cancer because I mean, right? you know, I mean, poor. I mean, Ronnie. That was brutal because I, I think that Ronnie, when he found out about it, it was like, you've basically got six months and, and he, and it was like literally six months around to the day that he actually passed. Yeah. What it's, kind of cancer did Ronnie have? He got stomach cancer, stomach. Mm. which is a very difficult, it's hard to detect. And, um, and it's, it's once, you know, it's hard to detect. So it ends up being usually more advanced, but um anyway that's a whole nother conversation for us yeah. but i just yeah. i just want to say to you guys um i can't wait to come back are you in montreal jeremy yeah, yeah. Both of us. i'm like half hour for mitch yeah okay yeah. um it's one of the greatest cities in the world i love i love montreal um i used to i was married to a quebecois at one point and um and i spent some time there and it was it was awesome the montreal community you know it, you know everyone sticks together they all know each other all the musicians and all the fans they're all friends they hang out together it's very like european there it's the biggest little I, city ever yes i love it yeah. um, it is uh, i have you know um i look forward to get i think with the days this will be there at some point i don't know if it's this year or next year hopefully we'll we'll get some concerts going in the summertime um once everybody gets you just, gets just quick, up. you you had a song about the girl from milen blues or something like that right uh, yeah blues for milen blues for milen that you were doing with white snake yeah. and that's that was for her from montreal but now i'm married to the greatest girl and she's from germany and every song that i write now mitch yes. is for her every right. song uh, that's All for her. Sh- can you you, you might have just you might have just <laughs> ruined everything <laughs> i'm looking in real close at you right now we're gonna edit that every out. song every note i play is for daniela aldrich that's right that's the way okay. that's it. It. there you go you might have gotten him laid tonight <laughs> no you'd have to do it you gotta do a lot more than to get that <laughs> to happen for me but, but uh oh, there we go but, no, i'll tell you what though it's um I'm very thankful for the, the people that I've had in my life. And yep. my, my wife is awesome. She's, she's got a business that's kicking ass called mama wonder bar. That is um, for people who like to do smudging Indian sage. She yep. custom does them with roses and all this stuff. It's mama, mama wonder bar with a U wonder bar. So, um, so that I, maybe that would get me, maybe that would get me some, 
by me promoting Wamba Wonder Bar. Yeah. Wonder Bar. Well, listen, yeah. I'm Native American. I live on a reservation just outside of Montreal called Gahnawage. So maybe I'll have to maybe I'll have to pick one of those. Yeah. Up. You know, um, you probably would. You've probably smelled this sage before. It's really good. You know, and they say that actually, uh, I read something something online that if you, if you sage correctly, that it actually purifies air and can kill the COVID vaccine, uh, COVID germ. Possible. Don't know if that's true, but I, I read something. Oh, 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 we lost the video again. Let's ask the FDA. <laughs> oh, Doug, we lost your video. I guess maybe his uh, phone died because we've been talking for an hour and 10 minutes, but there you go. That's okay. Well, that there's was... new dead daisies coming out uh, next week. What, what was it? Holy January 22nd. Holy, Holy ground. Great album. I, I, I heard it a year ago and I was like, it's coming in the summer. Eight, and then one year later. And it's just strange. A lot of these. Remember when we when we met uh, John Bond? Well, not John Bon Jovi. We met uh, Obie O'Brien out in New York. Yeah. Like, the album's coming out in May. A- yeah. And then it just yeah, it <laughs> ended up being October, I guess. That, and, yeah. October 2020. That was in November 2019 that that. Yeah. They were in New York listening to the final mixes and they were going to have it all revved up for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was it? May of 2020. And then of course, COVID put that on there. COVID, COVID started killing everything, but it, Oh, by the way, before we go, I got to show you this. Uh, there you go. Hello. Ah, uh, there you go. I love your poison mug. Is it tea? You're looking, yeah, my poison mug, by the way, thank you to poison for, um, <laughs> uh, linking their web store to, uh, to the Lionel Richie store. That's just great. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, we lost Doug. So uh, our thanks to Doug for joining us. That was great. Check out uh, the new Dead Tasties, January 22nd. available pre-order wherever you get music. Uh, Mitch LaFon, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. There you go. Hold on. Hold on. There. Oh, Oh, no. There's a chair. Move your chair. Move your chair. Slide to the there. Slide to the left. Take it back now, (laughs) y'all. Slide to the right. (laughs) Oh, my God. All right. There you go. Cool. Cheers. All right.